Hey, Mace. Hey, Laura. On today's episode of Queer Town, we have an iconic guest, Michael Barnes. It truly was a pleasure to get to sit down with one of the most prolific columnists here in Austin, Texas, to get to talk about the people, places, culture, and history that he has so lovingly written about for the Austin American Statesman for years now, as well as covered in his own podcast with radio personality J.B. Hagar, Austin Found, where they talk about how Austin became the city it is today. I'm so excited for y'all to hear his perspective on the queer community since he has been here. I think it's something that is very new for the queer town space, and I can't wait for y'all to listen. It truly was a pleasure. And so sit back, relax, and enjoy Queer Town with Michael Barnes. I arrived in 1984 to go to grad school okay. to get my PhD, and I found the gay scene here to be pretty well developed. And I had lived in Houston and New York City and other places. But despite the fact of not having a gayborhood, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's that's a long story, yeah. but a good one. Oh, uh, but despite that, it seemed very well developed, especially when you consider how recently it had been kind of like a ghost town for gay people. Uh, back in the 1950s, I've interviewed people from that the uh, uh, come, had come out in the 1950s, and there was one gay bar, and it was located in the back of Manhattan Deli, which was on Congress Avenue between 9th and 10th on the east side of the street. And you, uh, it, it's, the building's still there. It's occupied by Nelson Partners, which is a, a design firm. It's a beautiful building small building but that's where the only gay bar was and otherwise you socialize through parties and uh, the word i get is that if you better watch yourself <laughs> if you got an uninvited to the the gay circuit parties that was it you just oh that was like yeah well there, there was, there was no, no place else to go mm. and the the establishment was pretty oppressive um they especially the university of texas really was trying to tamp down on uh the rising gay scene and there was some activism in the 50s uh one of the people that i interviewed was a member of the mattachine society which is an early gay rights group uh pre-stonewall and uh but it was a small city, not much going on. On the other hand, a lot of people who came from smaller places thought this was really swell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a, a young, young crowd, you know, and a funny thing about the, the, the uh, Manhattan Deli uh, gay bar club. Anyway, it, it was, you know, maybe 10, 12 people would show up on a normal night, but on game day, Longhorn game day, it was smashed. No way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but the, the 60s things had gotten, uh, and I started uh, visiting here in the 60s. Um, there were maybe about six gay bars and there was more activism and there was more of a sense of something's going to change soon. In 1970 was the first organized meeting of the LGBTQ community, not called that back then. And, but it included lesbians and gay men. And it was at the, um, the, uh, on the drag, the the Y and there were 25 people who showed up 
And then there was a campus organization called Gay Lib, and there was a party in Pease Park, and it all was going quite well. Although, I mean, this is just months after Stonewall, so pretty amazing. And then the first joint conference of, of gay activists was here. They came from the two coasts and met here. Really? And they thought we were so backwoods because, <laughs> you know, they're very fierce trans communities. Absolutely. And they were just like, y'all have it too easy. The city likes you too much. You're, you don't have to fight for anything. And, you know, that's kind of been our story all along. And the reason why we don't have a neighborhood is because we didn't have to fight for it, you know. Whoa. Yeah. I have wondered why we don't have a neighborhood. Number my one entire re- life. Number one reason, we didn't need it. Mm. Gay ghettos grew up for safety mm-hmm. because, you know, in numbers, if, if you're being harassed uh, uh, in any way, you want to buy, be around your people. And uh, in this city, that didn't happen. You know, there was, of course, there's homophobia. There's still homophobia, but people didn't feel unsafe. And so they never developed uh, a solid neighborhood with businesses and residences like that. Wow. So when you talk about like location, I, I think kind of like geographically speaking, just to kind of, you said, in, was it 1970, there were six six bars? Is that? There were at least six by 70. Like six by seven. And this is mainly downtown. But this is a great question. I know where you're yeah. going with this. They were along Red River. Okay. This was before the, the scene moved to West 4th. Okay. The primary scene moved to West 4th. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and so that was beginning to happen when I moved to town in the early 80s. The things going on in the early 80s, was even more gay bars, maybe 12 at one time. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like that's more than we have right now. I bet we have about that. If okay. you count kind of the the smaller underground things, you know, there are things I don't know about, you know, <laughs> of course. But um, anyway, no, and there was truly well-developed activism on the rights front and a march on the Capitol every two years. But there was also AIDS activism. And so, uh, and, and Austin jumped on that very early. AIDS services of Austin, hosp- Christopher House, all those things came comparatively early in the AIDS crisis. And, and so I felt when I moved here and I was an adult, I felt like, yeah, I like this city and I like its gay scene. And I was very happy with the gay presence on campus, for instance. And Queer theory was just coming into vogue in grad school. And so, you know, there was a lot to talk about. <laughs> Heck yes. Yeah. I think I, I've recently uh, dove into Audre Lorde a little bit more. And, and I think it kinda, it's interesting to hear kind of, or I guess maybe I'm curious, like what, what did that look like when you're talking about like kind of queer theory in grad school? You said you were here in 84. Like what, what was that like from an academic place for you? You know, was What I liked about it was that it went along with um, the feminism of the day and the, um, uh, you know, critical black theory and uh, race theory and all that. What was advantageous is you could use them like lenses to see things differently and then take them off and use another lens. Because mm. there were people who didn't do that, who were like, oh, I'm all about the Marxists, you know? <laughs> sure. And But I liked looking at, at, at history and the present through a lot of different lenses. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really excited about to kind of dig into with you. Yeah. That's so 
much of the gay scene that is visible right now is really connected to physical locations. And obviously with COVID, there was a slight shuffling of things here locally. And I think that as someone who was born and raised here in Austin, Texas, I've always been fascinated mm. with the sort of invisible history of yeah. this space. Because there's clearly a lot of activism, a lot of parties, a lot of things that we just don't have everyday reminders of. Well, part of it is we don't have a community center, and we should. We did have one for a few years in the 1990s. Um, that building that was in just got torn down on Red River Street. But oh, no. uh, but then, what's different about that? Um, right. But I think the thing is that um, the physicality of it is something we miss. Uh, because now with dating apps, you don't need to go to a bar to find a, a, a partner uh, for the evening. Or for longer, <laughs> for longer. <laughs> uh, but you don't need that anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I think just being in a community is is what we miss. And I, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, in 2001, a writing partner and I, Sean Massey, who's a social scientist and we've been dear friends for decades, he and I did a, a story for The Statesman where we, in 2001, we did a survey with 55 questions kind of vetted in a social science manner so it could be duplicated around the country where we asked about uh, feelings of satisfaction in the gay community around issues of quality of life. You know, mm. do you feel safe here? Do you feel satisfied here? Do you feel like the opportunities are here? Well, uh, we got a lot of responses and about half of them digital, which was new <laughs> in 2001. And we found that people in the gay community in general were uh, felt safe, they felt happy, they felt content with, and then they had the same complaints that other people had. And a lot of them had moved here for the same reasons other people had moved here. You know, the natural beauty, the culture, uh, uh, the economy. Sure. But they did miss having a, a gayborhood if they came from someplace with one. And... And, that, and that they did miss things like civic spaces, like a community center. But uh, in the end, uh, I was disappointed that we only got 1,200 responses because I didn't know that there had never been that large a study of a gay community in this country before. Really? <laughs> that was... In the country? In the country. And it got attention everywhere. And we got the top. Uh, Lesbian Gay Journalism Association Award for it. We were just doing stuff. We didn't know we were making... The, the basic question was, are you happy with your city's right. identity, right? Right, like, right. That was the, the, the big thing. And we did a lot of interviews and, and, and profiles that went with it so that it, we reflected the, the many ways that, that people were happy or un unhappy with the city. Sure. So uh, anyway, it's been a while. That's no, it's wild that you mentioned that because I was a publicist for my first few years out of college. And, uh, okay, no one who's listening to this at home can see it, but both of y'all can. Uh, that map over there, I worked with this artist named Jennifer Chenoweth who did a hedonic map of Austin. Oh, wow. And so she had, I think it was 12 emotional questions that she would ask people. And it would be like, where have you experienced the most joy, the most sorrow, um, within Austin and um, just looking at it like the highest point 
was Barton Springs, and <laughs> lowest point was I thirty five. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's probably yeah. the same today. If I can yeah, say I, right. I think that was twenty sixteen. Uh, I don't think it has changed much though, as no, far as the no. oh, it has at least. Uh, but yeah, it was fascinating. I think when you get that data to look at Austin and. Um, Oh, great. We have a production assistant. We, we call them our production assistants. Um, yeah, Oscar is just sloshing his water around. So Yeah, well, cats can't, will do what they will do. Yeah, can't blame him. Our queer podcast has cat... I think it's the, I think it's the best and realest addition to our podcast, is having intruders from... Yeah, for, every for, episode, for like they, they make yeah. some noise. Uh, so I guess this is his appearance for this one. <laughs> uh, but yes, back to Austin. It's always interesting to me because this is a city that I think a lot of people can get a lot of different things out of, right? We have people who come here for all different reasons, kind of like you're right, saying. Right. And when you actually get those factoids of like what people are resonating with, um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's very eye-opening in a way. Yeah. Have you want to? Have you wanted to bring that back? That that analysis. Absolutely. That yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think it would have been a great thing to do, especially this year, yeah. twenty years on. And we presented it things at the newspaper now are such that certain projects that require a lot of collaboration are not as easy because we're all working from home. And uh, y'all have a great setup here. Uh, but uh, I, I, we, we could still do it. Uh, our, our, our editor-in-chief, Manny Garcia, loved the idea of doing it again. And uh, it, it would, it would, I think it would resonate again. Yeah. I mean, we had all kinds of response. I mean, of course, a lot of people love that we were just talking about a gay people not in the in the uh, 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 in terms of of rights or AIDS or all the other things that that we've made a lot of noise about and for <laughs> for the right reasons, but now just how people live their lives and you know what percentage of them had children at that point it's going to be a whole lot more now. Uh, what percentage of them were in long term relationships? This is pre marriage equality, and um, and one of the interesting things and it haunts me is that um, the more people were in long-term relationships, the more satisfied they were with the city. Oh, interesting. And it haunts me because I know that there are people who come here single, who are elderly or young, and just don't have any guideposts. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to fit in. And, and I think that's still somewhat the case here. And it would be interesting to see if, if, if a new survey would show the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think when you think about the main way that, you know, gays and, and queers would socialize, it, it would be in a, in a bar setting. But you already talked about ha not having a community center. And I think what that, the, the, detriment, the detriment that that does to a major city is there's no central hub or there's no immediate go-to for people who are new and looking for a, right. a community. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think about that a lot if I'm mm. being honest. Yeah. Yeah. I have often thought it's like places like do 512 that sure. are sort of aggregates of like, these are places you can go. These are events that happen. And it really is kind of wild to me that like these companies right are, mm. are the ones who are sort of distributing this information online at least from like an initial google search right and there are also uh places of meeting that we don't have now and maybe they're there but i just don't know about them sure. because they've been married for 32 years 
Uh, but congrats, uh, by the way. Thank yeah, you. Thank, you. thank you. We're coming up on 32 in February. Um, but uh, but it used to be places like the Dobie Theater and the Varsity Theater on the drag, which showed a lot of gay films. Mm. And this is back in a time when we were just discovering that gay films could be a thing. Mm-hmm. And the 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 uh, Aglyph was a great meeting place and a neutral meeting place. You weren't there to scope everybody else. You were there to be part of a community, and you were there to see gay films, which you couldn't see on TV and generally hadn't been made before. Now I will tell you, you will not be surprised. There were a lot of bad ones. <laughs> it oh, has not we, changed to yeah, this day. Little has changed. <laughs> we have a dear friend who had, uh, who just a high tech guy. He he, he uh, collected a lot of of uh, movies over the years with the gay themes, and and we watched all, all of, of them. them. And I'm the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and we called it Paul's Big Bad Gay Film Festival. (laughs) (laughs) And I always wanted him and my husband to write a guidebook because, I mean, there are some that are stunningly bad, but just like nothing happens in the whole movie. (laughs) But it was gay, so we have to. It was gay. We have to show up. So (laughs) that is why I watched back in the day every entry in the Eating Out franchise. Mm -hmm. And I tried to rewatch, I think, two of those movies earlier this year. (laughs) And I was like, I had a friend over who's queer and I was like, oh, you're going to like love these. They're like so zany and fun. And it's basically softcore porn without <laughs> any sex. It, right. Like it's not that funny. Unfortunately. No, no. A lot of the, of those movies were that. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, there were, were romantic ones mm-hmm. and some of them actually succeeded. I mean, I don't want to just dismiss the genre. I still watch them, you know, when we have the festival. And Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, that was a time when we were just like, what's our culture? Who are we? You know, how do we find ourselves reflected in pop culture? Yeah. So I, I, I guess maybe that's one of the things I'm curious about is how you've seen, you know, or, or maybe what you're – in terms of an Austin queer scene, like what do you see that's not recognized nowadays where from your perspective maybe should be talked about a little bit more in, in the Austin queer scene? Well, maybe the clue would be what I've been talking about now, which is history. I think that sure. that, that we need to always connect with our history. And uh, it it is something that, that the city sorely needs because it has a lot of history, but we have a lot of newcomers and we have a lot of people who've lived here for a long time and haven't been curious about that history. But things are changing. One of the things I love is that the Texas Oh, hi, Kitty. The Texas yeah. Historical Commission uh, is starting to do, the has been doing for several years, these kind of underreported historical places. And they're putting up a historical marker at that Manhattan Deli on, on oh, Congress. Amazing. So we're going to get more of yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. When people are going to just stop and they go, oh, wait. This was the gay bar in the 50s. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is because we, we only really know what exists right now. And it, does that come from the chamber? Like chamber? Where does that come from? I guess distinct, like from a city ordinance perspective, we are going to deem this a right. historical model. Well, you know, the, the, we have a, our own Austin Historical yes. Commission yes. and a Travis County Historical Commission, which actually gets heavily involved in the medallions. 
but there's a statewide effort okay. to to be i did a story not that long ago <laughs> uh which was like where are our lgbtq markers yes because there were none yes there are thousands and thousands in the state and there were none and now they're starting to be okay good wow can you talk about any that maybe some of our listeners can go out and like pay homage to or check into i think you know i would like to see more so that i could talk about more of them you know they're they're just coming into being now and uh the city is good about recognizing historical figures with street names and and so forth and and one of them is betty naylor now she was a lesbian activist who was a firecracker i mean she was about two feet tall she (laughs) and she lived a long long time and she was a lobbyist uh, at the state, not for gay rights, but for the porn industry. Go on. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. Continue. <laughs> and but she also did gay rights on the side. Amazing. And uh, how I almost killed her is that <laughs> we had her and her lovely partner over for dinner, and um, we made these cocktails. And she really loved them. And it's a cocktail I make a lot. It's a Hill Country Lavender cocktail. She goes, um, um, I love this. And she had a second. And then she just fell flat on her face on the floor. And she really injured herself. And uh, I just thought I'd killed this great hero, heroine of, of, uh, lesbian gay history <laughs> in my friend she Wait, she recovered there's a link with a lavender menace and lavender so it's kind of fun to have this <laughs> mm-hmm. like, lavender i i dearly loved her she was oh she, she was sounds a crazy amazing. lady um, wait, wait, wait. So was it an allergic reaction? What happened? Is it like the no, locked? It, no, it was the fact that these were very strong cocktails and she was a very tiny, thin woman. <laughs> right. And Again, she, four feet. And she just said, this tastes great. <laughs> and we hadn't eaten yet. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. I I have been there myself. And, and I'm True. not four foot tall. <laughs> True. True. So I, I can sympathize with that. Um, that's, so you, that's interesting. So uh, um, talk a little bit more about um, her and, you know, um, you know, sex worker advocacy. I think that's an interesting silo that obviously has tangential links to, to queer rights. Like, I'm, I'm curious about that. Absolutely. I mean, there's there are all the rights of privacy, the rights of speech free speech and so forth that go with uh, uh, protecting things that are not necessarily popular. And the fact is, of course, that uh, the porn industry is very popular, but the state, especially the state of Texas, the, the legislature did everything they could to, to make it impossible for, for that people to have access to that. And that included uh, sex toys. I mean, you could go to prison for selling a sex toy. Well, yeah, not that long ago. That's not surprising considering it was, what, 2003 when the case happened where it was those two guys who were arrested. Right. Having the sodomy. Lawrence. Is it Lawrence versus Texas, I think? I think so. Yeah. And, but yes. And they were even in the privacy of their own home. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was like, what a case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one we've right. been waiting for. Right, right, right. No, when I saw that, I went, oh, yes. <laughs> we're setting. <laughs> we're going to get this overturned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, when that was overturned, uh, uh, one of the conservative justices, Scalia, said, next thing will be gay marriage. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, there were steps along the way, but, but um, the truth is that for so long, it had been so clear that we were not getting equal justice under the law. And that's the, the core of the Constitution. And so you could see that sequence. You could see those dominoes falling. Uh, and it could always go backwards. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not to get too grim, but I think we're seeing that with Roe v. Wade right now. Right, right. And what kind of, um, kind of gauntlet that can be for political extremists right now. And, and, and also, can... as soon as that, those decisions came out about the Texas law, uh, and that's just recently, mm -hmm. um, one Texas legislator said we should do that, use that same uh, um, a strategy with, with gay rights. With gay and, rights. and so I was like, great, we're going to go through this all again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and in that case, we're all united in that in that front, and it's you know communally crippling and grieving and painful. And I think it it goes back to why these community centers and community places you know are right. important for Very us. Good point. All mm -hmm. to exist. Um, it, it is interesting to me to look at the differences between when you moved to Austin in 1984 mm -hmm. and now, because I think a lot of people utilize dating apps to make friends. Like right. it's not just about dating. Right. What? So I know you had said that you were getting involved on UT's campus, but was that like an easy org to find, or was that sort of like a um, like you find it on a bulletin board and then it's like meet at this like weird dark place? <laughs> that was early on, but not not by the time I'd moved here. By the okay. time I moved here, uh, yeah, you had no tr trouble finding gay organizations, and right. there were a lot of them, and uh, they were very active. And you had no trouble finding gay community outside of the bars. You know, there would be places that were gay-owned businesses that, you know, where people congregated. So, it, it, as I said at the beginning, it, it was a well-developed community by the time I got here. It had not been well-developed for a, a long time, but it was then. Yeah. That's amazing. I guess I guess I'm curious if any you know specific figures come to mind uh, in your in your research in your you know journalism. Any any people specifically specific to Austin that you want to bring bring to light? Um, well, the state's first openly gay legislator was from uh, South Austin, uh, uh, mm. Glenn Maxey, and uh, we we were very lucky to have him. And uh, what years was this roughly, if you know? I am going to say, <laughs> if you know roughly, I know it was during the 90s. 90s is good, 90s works. We'll take it, 90s works. It. Okay, I, I'm getting to do that more because if I don't have notes, I don't know. And so I just go in the <laughs> in mid 50s, maybe, <laughs> or whatever. Well, and Laura and I were actually talking about this. Like, we don't know much personally about right. Austin's queer history. Right. Right. It's like we know what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. We know a little bit more than that. But I think that's why we're so excited to just talk with you. Is yeah. It's like... Specific question. Yeah. It's uh, like we know the tip of the iceberg. And we're aware that there's so much more that's happened here. But it really is wild that like so much of it is just siloed to our friend groups. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was straight, straight up. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to help. I I, I do <laughs> okay. want to point out, for instance, that y'all are in comedy, right? And well, y'all already know that. But I wanted to point out that uh, probably the leading comedy troupe in town, Esther's Folly, started out sure. in a, a, a gay commune, hippie commune, uh, north of the capital, 
uh, and that the people who were involved in that commune and who got involved in uh, radical protest theater on the UT campus um, were the founders uh, of Esther's Follies. And, uh, and they did first a, a kind of experimental sketch thing at Liberty Lunch, which was the, the great old club then. And then they started the Follies, I think, at the Ritz Theater on 6th Street. And, and they moved a couple of times, and now they have been at Red River and 6th Street for a very long time. But here is this iconic uh, a comedy troupe, but it was started by uh, this kind of hippie gay commune. That is really fascinating. Did you know that, Mace? I, I, I did not know that. No, okay. I mean, Esther's Follies is, is like, I, I grew up going to those shows. Sure. And uh, like Roy and Shannon, it's it's such a like institution here. Mm -hmm. But but it's such a um, like tourist facing thing. Now, yes. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, that's when you get successful, you become a tourist. Thing, you yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, do I turn them away or do I keep entertaining people who are paying me good money to, to perform? Yeah. Two shows a night. Yeah. 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 No. And, in, and it's still very funny. I went during one of the troughs in the pandemic and <laughs> I just had a blast. Oh, good. Yeah. And I still can't figure out how Ray Anderson does those tricks. That's just <laughs> this is the magician. That, the magician, that, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, speaking of bachelorette parties, I think we, we spoke about these earlier. My my mom's uh, very good friend was me remarried recently. Love that. And uh, they had their bachelorette party at Esther's Follies. I couldn't come because I had a, a GD comedy show. But uh, Bonica, my wife, went and she was like, you have to go to this, by the way. <laughs> like, do not have your nose in the air about Esther's Follies, my oh, love. Oh, do not. Do, do not. not because you're going to be entertained. And it is. it feels like very singular Austin, very iconically mm -hmm. Austin. And you, as a comedian in Austin, need to go see this. And... Um, Embarrassed to admit, I still have not gone oh. to Esther's Follies. I, I now that we're talking post um, Omicron crest, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna go. You should go. I'm gonna go. So I had my 16th birthday party <laughs> at Esther's Follies. Oh wow, <laughs> you had very liberal parents. Yeah. Oh, I did. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> atheist parents. Yeah, uh, we talked about um, yeah. the the pod before. Yes. I grew up in a very uh, progressive household. <laughs> good for you. I did not. Uh, <laughs> Neither yeah. did I. But yeah. my mom, my, my mom, my mom has since come around. And mine is yeah. too. Yeah, it's been good. good. Still good. working on my husband's mother, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> oh yeah, this can turn into therapy if we'd like to. By yeah. The way. yeah, we've gotten to some pretty personal places. <laughs> yes, yeah. especially in laws and religion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's exactly uh, what I'm facing right now. My father-in-law recently died. Sad, but he was elderly and and ill for a long time. Uh, but the, and I, I, I'm going to go ahead and share this on the air because it's, it's, uh, it's important to, to acknowledge, but, um, my mother-in-law is trying to demote me from the obituary. What? Like she doesn't, she, as of yesterday, she still doesn't want to call me, uh, Kip's mm. husband. Uh, and it's like, whoa, whoa disrespectful, hurtful, Fearful. been part of their family for 32 years. And yet... That uh, she didn't want to acknowledge that. I'm sorry, but let's let's talk about lighter things. Sure, but <laughs> but I think I think that's that's I think one of the one of the tenets of this podcast is to talk about the the truth in 2021, moving into mm -hmm. 2022. I, I think it's it, we can all I think in in terms of coping as queers, we create our bubbles for the sake of survival, and I think 
the holidays will bring us up on the realities real quick. Yeah. And, yep. and, um, you know, this is, this is a, a case too with timing, but it's, it's the, it's the same thing. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, I came out in 1972. Mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, that's done. It's still going on. Yeah. It's yeah. still going on. I, I I'm still having to explain wish. myself to, to relatives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's a, the the um, they feel owed yeah. to something, and I think that is hard when I can't explain it to myself. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to open up to these other people? And I think that I know who I am now, but before I did, that was really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I I just wish that like from like a foundation setting standpoint i could have said like you don't have access to this Mm -hmm. it's just like i need whatever parameters you would look at with a straight person i need that too yeah and and i think it's hard with family especially with in-laws because it's such a nuanced (laughs) thing where (laughs) you know it's like they have their traditions and their customs and you're trying to respect those their sense of ownership their sense of possession that this is my child this is my child this is my uncle this is my whatever but i'm but i'm glad to report and this is hopeful i'm i'm an optimist good but um i think the most impactful thing we have done in my generation and pass it on to yours is is just coming out and living who we are because the generation before me could not do that Mm -hmm. and um you know i grew up not knowing any gay adult people Uh, you know my aunt had a, a a pair of lesbian a couple that worked in the hospital with her i knew they were lesbian when i was eight nine ten whatever but we didn't talk about it. Whereas our 20 nieces and nephews have spent their entire lives not knowing anything other than Uncle Michael and Uncle Kip. Mm. So none of them have that, that poison in them. And not only that, they can't believe there was a time when there was that kind of poison generally in families. And so we did her job <laughs> <laughs> by be, by being visible, just by being visible. Absolutely. Right. I really do think that that is one of the most important things that we can do right now. Cause I look at relatives of mine who are very conservative and are very close minded. And I just think about the worlds that they exist within. And, and I do think that COVID has, um, minimized people's worlds you know Mm -hmm. obviously for safety that's a very important thing but for people who didn't really have queer friends Mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily shining a spotlight on their own family members Mm -hmm. it's like what is their perception of the world and i i just think that it's like whatever the representation is even if it's subpar Mm -hmm. to a certain extent it's beneficial that it's out there like i don't think i have to love every movie like we've been talking about but it's important they exist it's important that there are people on that film set boots on the ground bringing that vision to life even if it's the worst creative vision you've ever seen it might be a gateway for someone and 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 the representation itself has the potential to do a lot of good uh uh, one of the things that may shock you you may already know this but among republicans who are polled their favorite tv show is modern family (laughs) and i think one of the reasons because i try to be empathetic and i try to keep an open mind is that it shows a family struggling with these different things. And, you know, while the the gay couple is 
totally accepted. They're still struggling with it. Every episode, practically, there's some aspect of that. And so, I mean, it's not a paragon of representation. I mean, nothing is, Sure. but it is, it was a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for, for me personally, you know, my wife and I, um, we think about showing up to spaces with our families where we might not f- feel the, s- the safest, but at the same time, understanding that our visibility is really important for yeah. uh, the nieces and nephews that are Good younger, you. that Good are younger you. than us. And, and, and we, and we, and we do show up um, to most of the spaces. And, and I think that's important. And, and specifically, you know, I think with, with my wife and, and, you know, her sister and their family, you know, there's some them kids who have come out in their queerness in their own ways. And, you know, they won't listen to this podcast, but like, we know that they've come out. And so, you know, so, we, so uh, they don't know that we know, but we know, you know, and, and these are, you know, they're uh, 12 years old right? and, and coming out in these spaces and they're, uh, we just uh, spent a, a, a trip in South Padre and they're on their iPad watching this show on Disney plus called owl house. I don't know if you know, it's an animated show, uh, but there's some, some queer characters and mm-hmm. in know, owl and <laughs> they they, I, I think they're, they're humans enough. Um, owl house. <laughs> and so I, uh, we were there in South Padre, uh, Bonica and I were in the kitchen and, and, uh, that the, the two nieces were together and watching owl house on their iPad on the couch. And at, at one point, like I could hear what was going on and I was like, I think this is queer stuff going on. Like, Heck yeah. And at one point I kind of hear the, the youngest who's seven, uh, not the 12 year old who has come up, but the youngest who is seven, Aaliyah kind of put her pocket, her iPad down and go like, Hey Laura. And I was like, um, y- yeah, Aaliyah. And she goes, you're really special. And I, oh, that's sweet. and I walked from the kitchen. I went over to Leah. Leah, can I give you a hug? And she said, yeah. And so we hugged and I walked back over with like literal tears in my eyes, yeah. like going back to the kitchen. This is this summer wow. going back and, and like kind of recognizing like Aaliyah, who's seven, mm-hmm. seven sees me and Bo as quote special. That's sweet. Because the, you know, the cartoon they were watching. That's said cr- very sweet. When, it's uh, the eldest of my nieces uh, was tiny, tiny, tiny little yeah. girl, uh, four maybe, sharp as a tack. Um, uh, she now has her own uh, toddler son and who wears his I love my gunkle onesie. And uh, I know, I know, I kill her. But she, uh, she her family was, uh, my brother and his family were staying with us in a tiny little bungalow in East Austin. And, uh, I don't know when this was in the early nineties and, uh, you know, they sleep in late and we thought, you know, whatever, we're going to go in the kitchen and start making breakfast and uh, putting coffee on the stove. So, uh, she came in, we didn't see her and we just gave each other a kiss and she, and we turned around and she's there and she goes, are you two friends? <laughs> 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 I just went, oh my God, she's really sharp. Um, technically, yes. Yes. Uh, Among other things. Among yeah. things. <laughs> There's kind of a, a bullet list, but that's one of them. Yeah. 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 I was at a wedding of a childhood friend recently, and uh, she has an older sister who's, I, I guess, conservative. And uh, she asked me if I had anyone special in my life, which was like, 
oh, are you asking if I'm dating anyone? Because the answer is no, I'm single. But uh, I do have like special people. Like I have special friends. I have my cats. Like <laughs> it's just like that word like special. It's like special. they, they the can't say. Yes, you like, are special. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Are you dating anyone? It's like, just, just say that. That's fine. <laughs> But this is, again, what we're saying. This is 2021. This is moving into 2022. This is how things are great. I mean, like you're saying, like the baton will continue to be passed to generations even younger. And how they treat visibility is um, kind of up to us to help define, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is interesting looking at... um I think just like people who are teenagers right now, because mm-hmm. there seems to be this very like casual relationship with being queer mm-hmm. and like dipping in and out of things. And I'm very impressed by that because yeah. that was not me when I was yeah. 14 or 15. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and the dipping in and out of things is new. I mean, mm. boy, in my generation, we took sides. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's the queers against everybody else. <laughs> and I like all the nuance. I like all uh, the, the, the different levels of engagement. Uh, I, I don't know if that's always going to be good for people individually, but uh, I, I do think it's, it's certainly fascinating worth watching. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so we always like to do a tasting every episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, give me your glasses because uh, this is a white wine. So I'm part of a wine club and um, it's a sparkling white wine uh, from France. So uh, we've all been tasting it, but let's pretend that this is our first. <laughs> this is my first sip of, may say this French name of this wine. Okay, I recently got it. I think it's a Langelou. A Langelou? Langelou. Yeah, I'm part of this amazing <laughs> wine club that is here in Austin called Glulu Girls, and it is um, incredible. I recommend checking it out. They're recently featured in Vogue. Okay, well, what? cheers, queers. Cheers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cheers, queers. Very light. Very light. Mm-hmm. I'm getting some like notes of pear, personally. Sure. Fruit of some kind. <laughs> fruit of, fruit, fruit of, of some, some kind. kind. I mean, you could just Okay, explain. melon. Okay, plum. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that could be the description for queer town. Fruit of some, some kind. kind. <laughs> That's it is our subtext. Uh, yeah, I hate to come across as Paul Giamatti in Sideways. That is never how I want to be whenever I'm trying. Although he did such a great job in he that did. movie. Oh, my God. He really leaned in, in a way. Yeah. Well, oh. as we're talking about it, more movies about wine. Is yeah. that literally yeah. the only one? <laughs> the gays haven't done anything with wine? Yeah, we dropped the come ball on, on that one. Yeah. Which one did you say? We dropped the ball on that. But no, we did. The opportunity is there. I mean, we have uh, what? Call me by your name, which is like sure big for like peach Italian. <laughs> I think if we thought about it long enough, we could come up with a list. But no, I can't think of another one. Yeah, yeah, not off the top of my head. No. Yeah, we're missing out on some like wine drama. Like, <laughs> like there, there's an untapped market there. No, absolutely. I- uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I like uh, Germ- German sweet wines, uh, Baronauslesa, truck and Baronauslesa. 
I took a, a class in college called a beverage survey at the University of North Texas, and they were big on German sweet wines for whatever reason. And uh, I come to this Queer Town podcast today to be an advocate for. I don't think I've ever had a German sweet wine. Really? What What's different about that? Uh, Alsatian Mountains, <laughs> a Qualitatswein Meat Predicate is the appellation that, um, that defines them. But no, this is also this delicious French, uh, bubbly today, I think is, is checking all the boxes for me. Yeah. Uh, we are recording this on the winter solstice. So <gasps> I think we should ask each other. Okay. Like, it isn't like a whole big thing with the solstice, kind of like moving forward with new intentions. Oh. So what would y'all's personal new intention be for the year ahead? Okay. Um, so, excuse me. So considering I'm, I am relocating in fiscal Q1 of 2022, <laughs> date TBD, um, I am uh, bringing uh, an air of openness. I don't want to come in with my preconceived, you know, moving to California, the traffic, it's more expensive. All of those things are true. Uh, I think geographically there's a lot of beauty in in California and I've I've been there before. So I'm remaining open to that as we're talking about queer communities, being open to the queer communities and exploring music spaces, community spaces, Mm -hmm. you know, nightlife spaces. I, I think um, alcohol, drugs without any of that, I think even in a sober space could be fun. I, I, I'm excited about entering everything with an open mind um, and getting getting out there. Um, my wife may come with me initially, may not, still TBD. Uh, their work may keep them here, so I might be kind of exploring new places on my own. So my intention in 2022 is to just don't come in with any of the prejudges, just... Wrists out, as a body language expert has once said, it means you're open to meeting people is wrists out. So I come wrists out in 2022. And that makes you a perfect Austinite because in my years (laughs) of reporting on the scene, openness has been the number one characteristic that I have found in this city. Hmm. That they're open to change. They're open to difference. Open to stasis, to staying the same. You know, the... You are the Austinite of the year. You are exactly right. And I love that you're thinking about California. I adore California. I've never lived there. Uh, our friend Paul of the Big Bad Gay Film Festival lived mm-hmm. in Northern California, and now he lives in Southern California. Oh. And I'd always had this prejudice about Southern California. Oh, you know, very. And now I love it. You know, uh, we just spent uh, a week out there this summer when there was a dip in the pandemic. And we stopped at the uh, uh, dispensary on our way in from the airport. Oh, fun. And I can't remember a thing about the week. I just had loved every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was beautiful weather, beautiful yeah. hills and ocean and everything. Uh, are we asking what I look forward towards? Yeah. 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 Real quick, I would just like to throw in. So Laura and I, along with Javi, performed at a festival in San Francisco oh, cool. a few years ago. And we also stopped at a dispensary and we fest. walked through the Castro. And I think that was the most stoned oh. I have ever been <laughs> in my entire life. You need oh, to I, learn to pace yourself. I <laughs> yeah. wish I remembered the name of the bar, but it is... It I was the it was Glass Coffin. The Glass Coffin. The well, oldest. I don't think that's what it's called, but that was like the uh, the 
name what you at. felt in that moment i think it was the first gay bar in the castro with like a, a window that oh wow, wow yeah so it's like if you were seen there it was sort of like your reputation was killed so it was the glass coffin mm. terrible to think about now um, but I remember I was so stoned. I couldn't drink. There. Yeah. Mace, I remember you being like, I wish I was unstoned right now. I remember you like gesturing specifically well, when in that bar. I specifically remember looking at this building across the street and I was like, I'm going to look at this building until it stops moving. <laughs> That's a good plan. You talked about moving. Yes. And I guess for me and, and you caught me off guard. Uh, I would just like to keep moving. <laughs> I'm at the age where, yep. you know, I got to be moving all the time or I'm not. <laughs> you know, it will be at 67. I never believed that I would have trouble with mobility. And I try to walk five to 10 miles a day. But wow. that's not going to last forever. And so I need to be very, very careful to keep doing all of that. Just keep moving. Yes. I love that. 2022, keep moving. Yeah. Ye with Brack. And what about you? Myself. Yeah, Mace, go ahead. Mace. Uh, I think it's going to be a fusion of y'all's. Oh. So I have been dealing with chronic pain for about two years now. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's something that I think I've kept pretty close to my chest and I'm only like just now feeling comfortable talking about. And it's actually really helped um, sort of deal with the pain I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I am trying to continue to be open to um, m movement. And um, that's, I think, the best way that I can summarize that. Just fusing the two things that y'all have said, because I am like seeing a PT specialist and I am now doing acupuncture and yeah. it's all sorts of like wild and crazy things to be like ending my 20s because I'll turn 30 next spring. Like ending my 20s like this, it's like, oh, I did not think this would be the back half of my 20s, but it kind of has been. And I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad you're taking care of it. Thank you. Because yeah. you don't want to spend the rest of your very long life, let's hope, yeah, in let's pain. Hope. That's just not a place to be. <laughs> it's yeah. not. And it's not a place that I necessarily thought I would be. But mm -hmm. I'm such a like go-getter. And mm -hmm. 2019, I... I uh, started to experience uh, like initial symptoms of pain. And it's so wild because I had a shoot that I produced for work. So I produced commercials. And so it was literally within the same week. I produced my first solo shoot. I had a play that I'd co-written and directed that opened on a Friday. And then that Saturday, we had a sketch show that Laura and I were in for our group Martini Ranch that opened. And I'm like, and that is why <laughs> I am... Like two years later, still um, figuring things out it's yeah. because I overextended myself. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think as somebody who has personally has uh, lower back problems, I had a back surgery when I was 17, uh, a laminectomy, discectomy, so mm -hmm. I went in and shaved mm -hmm. a, a protruding disc in my back. And ever since then, uh, you know, 20 years later, I'm still dealing with that. But I, I, I think it, it, it goes back to what Michael was saying was the fact that you are addressing it now is huge you're mm -hmm. i heard pt i heard acupuncture keep on that keep on that mobility and movement because it does help it does but it also matters that you're addressing it rather than being like ah i'm fine and toughing it through and well, let's let's swear that we'll get together a year from now yeah. Yeah. and 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 just 
prove that we're still moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Creaky cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, for sure. Yeah. Austin makes it easy to move though. So we're definitely in the right city. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to Barton Springs, uh, shoot probably two weeks ago, I think and Whoa. jumped in and it was, there were just the right amount of people there who were there mm-hmm. going back to the map Mesa that you're talking about. I think that there's no comparison to the joy that that thing will bring you and 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 i'm as i'm here i'm grateful for that uh you know the negative ions right of the water and that temperature balance that it brings like let's appreciate what we have while we have it here i love that yeah yeah and and i think that's really the the most important thing we can do i think so too cool well i feel like we're reaching a pretty natural conclusion i think so yeah. too. <laughs> i would say is there anything else that you would like I'm, to kind of talk about michael well anything you want to promote here? any anything well uh first of all i love your energy and i love what y'all are doing and thank you i feel like i have been remiss at not catching your sketch uh <laughs> performances before I don't go out as much as I used to, and I don't go out of things I don't know about. That's, that's We're terrible. We're also, like, admittedly performing in DIY spaces. Yes, yeah. so absolutely. It's, um, we are. Yeah, it's the basement comedy. Um, you know, I, I, if you're talking about other things I'm working on, I have got a uh, podcast called Austin Found, which is uh, radio personality J.B. Hager and I take a breezy approach to to Austin's history, warts and all, we don't look uh, away from the dark passages. I have a a weekly digital newsletter called Think Texas, which is about Texas history, and it goes out to all of our our, our newspaper uh, markets in the state. Uh, I have three books out under the title Indelible Austin, which is their collections of my best history columns, and uh, number four, volume four, is at the printer now. So, and you can get those at book people and other places in town. But, uh, yeah, um, I am delighted. I don't know how you found out. (laughs) We got together on LinkedIn of all places. Yeah, I was like, you on LinkedIn. Who is trying to talk (laughs) to me on LinkedIn? Big props to LinkedIn right now. (laughs) And I'm just glad you did because this is delightful. Good. Yeah. No, we're so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you, Michael, so much for stopping by. I feel like a part two, this time, 2022. I would love it. Put on the calendar right now, (laughs) virtual or otherwise. Cool. All right, great. Thanks, everybody.